Welcome to RoyalOaks.com. I'm Royal Oaks. Republicans have a really clear path to victory in the presidential contest. It boils down to four basic steps. First, dump the Trump. It's been fun, but the guy's not qualified. He can't win. Second, rock the voting blocks. It's all about demographics. The voters fall into neatly defined blocks, and the blocks, they are changing. The Republicans have to adapt. Third, dodge the third-party bullet. It is a killer. It's a huge danger, and the Republicans have to play their cards right. And finally, fourth, pick the right guy. I'll give you a hint. His name rhymes with Rubio. Okay, then, step one. Trump has to go. Yeah, I know. He's way ahead in the polls. So what? It's all a matter of name identification. The governors and the senators running against him are pretty well known, but this guy is a pop culture icon. For him, the whole country is like the Cheers bar. Everybody knows his name. He's like a one-man focus group. He knows what people are thinking, and he says it. People used to make fun of Bill Clinton, remember, for governing by polls, never really believed anything himself. He just followed the winds of public opinion. He'd have his one eye on public opinion surveys, and then he'd bend with the wind. Well, he was nothing compared to Donald Trump. Trump knows what you are thinking, just like Santa Claus, and he's giving you the present of articulating your frustrations. But here's the dirty little secret. Donald Trump can't win. He has massively ticked off over half the nation. And you know what? He shouldn't win. I mean, this is the most difficult and important job in the world. He's proven he's not qualified to hold the job. He has no real ideas other than sound bites. He has no basic knowledge. The job is hard enough for people who studied in the vineyards of political life for decades, like Lyndon Johnson. Richard Nixon. For them, a lifetime in politics was not enough to assure success. So how important is it to have a great president? Well, great presidents achieve great things. For example, they can avert disaster. In the 1950s, we were actually on the brink of nuclear war with China more than once. Mao Zedong was talking with his advisors during an especially tense moment. And they told him, well, sir, if there was a large nuclear exchange with America, 100 million people in China would die. You want to know his response? He said, well, we'll just make another 100 million. President Eisenhower gets the credit for maneuvering through those dangerous nuclear shoals. What about the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962? We came within an eyelash of a nuclear exchange, and John Kennedy averted disaster. The other thing our president can do is achieve great objectives. What about Ronald Reagan in the 1980s? International communism had grown since Lenin's Russian Revolution in 1917, enslaving hundreds of millions and murdering hundreds of millions more. What did Ronald Reagan do? Well, he bankrupted the USSR with his Star Wars threat, leading to the collapse of communism and freedom for millions around the world. All right, what about the other side of the coin? What can a bad president do? Well, just look at the judgment issue. Because of Bill Clinton's dalliance with Monica Lewinsky, he essentially accomplished nothing in his second term. He was just too distracted. What about George W. Bush? In terms of his terms, the regime change he insisted on Iraq, he just didn't understand the pottery barn rule. If you break it, you own it. What about dishonesty in a president? Well, 
Nixon lied and covered up on Watergate. That prevented him from accomplishing anything in his second term and drove him from office. Same thing with Lyndon Johnson. His lies about Vietnam led to massive splits in society, and he was forced to stand down and not even run for re-election. Does anybody really think Donald Trump could handle the job of president? He knows nothing about running a government or handling international or military affairs. When he's asked, he only speaks in uh, Twitter-sized soundbites. There's no substance. There's no plan, no ideology. He just expresses the general sentiment of the man on the street. Bottom line is that the stakes are too high to take a chance on a reality show tycoon. All right, point two. Focus on the voting blocks. If you take a look at the voting patterns over the last 10 presidential elections from 1976 to 2012, what do you see? Well, I'll tell you what you see. You see bad news for Republicans. First of all, Democrats are benefiting from the trends. Let's start with black voters. 1976, blacks were 9% of the voting public. And in 2004, when Bush 43 was reelected, they were up to 11%. And then in the last two elections, up to 13% of the voters. Next, let's take a look at Latino voters. This will be an eye-opener for you. Back in 1976, you want to guess what percentage of the voters were Latino? Try 1% on for size. Then in 1996, they were up to 5%. And in the last election, Latino voters amounted to 10% of the electorate. Okay, that was their share, but how did they vote? Bad news for Republicans. In the last three presidential elections, Latino voters have gone for Democrats 53%, then 67%, then 71%. Okay, let's move to Asian voters. In 1992, they made up 1% of the electorate. In the most recent election, 2012, that figure had tripled to 3%. So how did the Asian vote go? Well, in the last three elections, they voted for the Democrats, 56%, then 62%, then 73%. Okay, those are the racial groups. What about gender? Well, Republicans do better with men than they do with women. And back in 1976, the voters were 51% male, 49% women. You want to know what's happened to that split recently? In the last three elections, women have come in at either 53 or 54 percent of all voters. So they are no longer in the minority. They are the majority. Then there's the vote split, Democrat versus Republican. Here's a sobering statistic for Republicans. In the last six elections, the Democrats won the female vote by the following margins. 7 percent, 17 percent, 10 percent, 3 percent, 13 percent, and 11 percent. And it could get a lot better for Democrats if Hillary is the nominee. Some polls say women aren't necessarily going to fall in line for Hillary. you really believe that? There are tens of millions of centrist or apolitical women in this nation. With Hillary constantly reminding the public that, yes, she's a woman, do you really think a large percentage of the independent female vote isn't going to slide over to Hillary's camp in order to make history? Now, it's true, I will admit, that even if Republicans nominate Trump, they would have a historical advantage. Here's the truism. Voters don't like the same party to occupy the White House three terms in a row. Let's take a trip down memory lane. 1952, Dwight Eisenhower wins for the Republicans. He gets two terms. Well, then the voters are asked, do we want to give a third term to the Republicans? No, the answer was Jack Kennedy. He wins. Richard Nixon loses. All right, 1960 to 68, Jack Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson. 
But in 68, Hubert Humphrey asks the voters for a third Democrat term. Voters say, no, we'd rather go with Richard Nixon. Next, Nixon and Gerald Ford have two terms from 68 to 76. Once again, the uh, Republicans ask for a third consecutive term, and they lose. Incumbent President Ford loses to Jimmy Carter, the Democrat, instead. Next, we have the sole exception to this rule. After eight years of a Republican presidency, 80 to 88, Ronald Reagan, then George Herbert Walker Bush asks for a third Republican term, and he gets it. Michael Dukakis wasn't exactly a formidable opponent. But again, this is the only time that has happened since 1952, because right after that, 92 to 2000, eight years of Bill Clinton, Al Gore asks for a third Democratic term. The answer is no. Then Bush 43 is in for eight years from 2000 to 2008. John McCain asks for a third Republican term. The voters say no. We like Barack Obama. And now you're up to date. Eight years of Barack Obama, 08 to 2016. Hillary is going to be asking for a third Democratic term. If history is any guide, she loses. The big question, can the Democrats' advantages let them overcome this historical tendency? All right, let's go to issue number three, the third-party phenomenon. And this is a bullet Republicans really have to dodge. It's probably the biggest threat of all to Republicans. Let's face it, Donald Trump, if he runs as a third-party candidate, just turn out the lights, the party is over. Let's take a look at the last four serious third-party runs. In two of those four elections, the third-party candidate decided the election. First, 1980, John Anderson was the third-party candidate. He took 8% of the vote. But he did not affect the election. Although he was on the Republican side, he couldn't stop Ronald Reagan from beating Jimmy Carter 51% to 41%. Now we move to 1992, and the third-party candidate did decide the election. George Bush goes up against Bill Clinton and Ross Perot. Perot pulls down 19% of the vote, and Clinton beats Bush 43% to 37%. Next, 1996, when Clinton went for re-election, and he faced Republican Bob Dole. There was Ross Perot again. Perot didn't really impact the outcome this time. Clinton beat uh, beat Bush 49% to 41%. And finally, we come to year 2000. Third-party candidate Ralph Nader hands the election to George W. Bush. Nader only won 13%, but it was enough, excuse me, 3%, but it was enough to tip the election against Gore. Bush and Gore were essentially tied at 48% each, although Gore actually won the popular vote, even though he lost the electoral vote. So, now we're current. Will Trump make a third-party bid? Well, he talks like he's thinking about going back on his pledge. He says if he's not treated fairly, he might run as a third-party candidate, even though he signed the commitment to support the Republican. But he's doing this in order to frighten the Republicans into nominating him. If they call his bluff, he's never going to run as a third-party candidate. Here are the reasons why. First, he can't win. He knows Hillary would win. And if it's one thing Donald Trump doesn't like, it's losing and spending his own money doing it. If he runs as a third-party candidate, he will lose. He knows it, and he'll have to spend a boatload of his own money just to lose. Secondly, he doesn't have the personal animosity that drove the other third-party candidates to destroy the party they were actually a part of. Ross Perot had a personal grudge against Bush 41. They hated each other from business and political fights. So Perot was happy to spend some of his own money to take Bush down. As for Nader, he hates limousine liberals. He genuinely thought Al Gore was no better than George W. Bush. He had personal animosity against his fellow Democrats. 
So this is not a motivation for Trump. He's basically apolitical. He's into success and winning. Third reason he's not going to run. He knows that if he hands the presidency to Hillary, he will have made tens of millions of mortal enemies around the country, mostly within the Republican Party. And that includes a big chunk of the business community. It would simply be bad for Trump's business to earn 100 million enemies overnight. Fourth and finally, Trump has an asset that he can take advantage of if he doesn't run as a third-party candidate. And that asset is goodwill. As a businessman, he can convert the goodwill the Republican establishment will feel toward him for not wrecking their chances in the form of business relationships or other things that translate into bigger bottom line for Donald Trump. All right, that leaves us with our fourth big question. The final step, pick the right guy. And it's got to be Rubio. Remember, it's all about voting blocks. It's all about demographics. Look at the Latino vote in the last five presidential elections. In 1996, Latinos go for the Democrat 73% to 21%. In 2000, they voted for the Democrats 62% to 35%. In 2004, they go for the Democrats 53 to 44 in 2008, for the Democrats, 67 to 31. And in 2012, the Latino vote goes for the Democrats, 71% to 27%. Rubio can turn that around. He can overcome the idea that Republicans are racist because of the immigration issue and the bilingual education issue, which, by the way, destroyed the Republican Party in California. The Golden State is now a one-party state. Rubio is also young, and Hillary is old. Rubio is moderate compared to several of his Republican opponents, and that's consistent with how Republican nominees for president are picked. Once again, let's go to the history books. Let's go to the track record since 1960. Since 1960, the Republicans have nominated 13 candidates for president. Three times they were conservative. Barry Goldwater, 64, Ronald Reagan in 80 and 84. But 11 times they were moderates. Richard Nixon in 1960 and 68 and 72. Gerald Ford in 76. The Bushes in 88 and 92. In 2000 and 2004. Then Bob Dole in 96. John McCain in 08. And Mitt Romney in 2012. So how important is it to be moderate? Well, Republicans trail Democrats among voters. 38% of all voters are Democrats. Only 33% are Republicans. But even more important, independents account for 29%. So when you add the Democrat and independent percentages, you come up with a whopping 67% compared to the Republicans' 33%. Now, if that Republican 33% tends to favor somebody like Donald Trump, who cares? Trump is polling at about a third of the Republican field. Well, the field of 33% of Republicans, that translates to 11% of the nation's voters for Donald Trump. Let's take a look at some of the recent polling data. If Trump goes up against Hillary, guess who wins? She wins 50% to 40%. If Rubio goes up against Hillary, he wins 48% to 47%. So let's recap. Four simple steps. First, dump the Trump. Second, rock the blocks. Adapt to the changing demographics of the voters. Third, dodge that third-party bullet. And finally, pick the guy whose name rhymes with Rubio. 
it would be musical malpractice to leave this artist off our top 50 list as he marched through rock and roll history with the Yardbirds, Cream, Blind Faith, and Derek and the Dominoes. He left an indelible mark, ranking only behind Jimi Hendrix in Rolling Stone Magazine's 100 Greatest Guitarists of All Time. Here's number 41 on our list from 1971. This is Eric Clapton's Layla. Layla. 